coming up on Art Palace. If you look on the back of a Burning Man ticket, it says, you know, you enter at the risk of your own death. I don't know what a festival with the planet that has a disclaimer on the back that, you know, you could die and it's your responsibility to make sure you don't. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool people are two burners, Mike Little, a.k.a. Brew Bear, who is one of two Kentucky regional contacts for Burning Man, and Jeffrey Miller, a.k.a. Mr. Pancakes. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Okay. Uh, my name is Mike Little. My ply name is Brew Bear. And my name is Jeffrey Miller, and I go by Mr. Pancakes on the playa. So I'm just kind of curious, how did each of you get into Burning Man? How, how did you find out about it, and, and how did you start becoming you know, an active participant? So my wife showed me, um, her friends got married on the playa, I think in 2012. And I've heard of Burning Man just in the sense that I think a lot of people do. And when she showed me the picture of the art, I was just blown away. I'm like, I have to. To go there i'm like i need to be there and uh and i think it was in 2013 with doing little research i got tickets and then after doing the research i'm like i'm going to die in the desert i'm not ready for this <laughs> so uh i sold my tickets via step and then um we started doing our research and kind of understanding the culture i'd actually reached out to the regional contacts in ohio and kentucky to get more information especially on how can we get to the playa from here and then I found out about the regional network, actually. Um, and I attended my first burn. I think it was in 2015 at Mosaic Experiment. That's a little burn in Rutland, Ohio. Um, it's called Mudzaic. Um, it was it rained. It was muddy. It was disgusting. And <laughs> I fell in love. So I've been hooked. Uh, I've been hooked in the culture since uh, 2014, 2015. Cool. cool. And what about you, Jeffrey? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I first became exposed to Burning Man in the early 1990s, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine and I had seen an article, an early article on the burn. I think it was somewhere in its 10th year or something. And I, I think that was the first time I became came aware of it. It wasn't until early 2001 that some friends of mine who were living in California actually went to the burn. And, and mm-hmm. when they got back, they were like, you have to go. Yeah. So they, they goaded me for a couple of years. And my, my first trip out to the playa was in 2004. Uh, I think the capacity out there was maybe 30,000 people, 25, 30,000 people. Um, I returned uh, 2006, 2007, and 2010. So I, I've, I've been out to Black Rock City four times. I've never, I myself have never done a regional burn, which I would, I would love to do. But yeah. So Mike said that you were kind of convinced by just seeing the art. And I'm kind of curious what convinced you from, you know, the early 90s to 2004, like what flipped for you or what made you decide to go? Um, I think uh, my friends that had gone out there, uh, you know, like anybody, when you ask them what the Burning Man experience is like and what it's like being out there, everybody's mouth kind of like, well, it's kind of like this or it's kind of like that. And it's kind of like 
Mad Max meets uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show meets uh, some apocalyptic, you know, Tank Girl. Um, I, I I think it was you know, these people that I was friends with. I and I. I I, I think it was just, it was all inclusive. It was like, yeah. this is, they showed me pictures of the playa. They showed me pictures of the art. Um, I don't think it was so solely specifically about the art itself, other than just that sense of creativity and self-expression that was going on out there. And, and of course, some of the stuff that was, you know, I was reading about, uh, but, it, and um, yeah, so it was a little bit of all of that intrigue of what exactly this was you know, what was going on there. The camp I got involved with, I think one of the reasons they had directed me, encouraged me to go out there was the camp that I went out with. It wasn't an art theme camp. We didn't, I didn't live in a theme camp itself. It was, it was really a, a group of people anywhere between probably 40 and 60 people um, that were out there to have kind of a really deep personal experience to really kind of break yourself down out there and, mm-hmm. and kind of get at your core. So it was, it wasn't just, Hey, let's go out there and party and have a great time and, and dance till five o'clock in the morning at, you know, at the fence line. It was like, you can really tear into yourself out there uh, and get into your head and, and, and have a cathartic experience. And that was kind of the camp that I had gone out to. From talking with people, it's it's that's something I don't know if I necessarily understood about Burning Man before we started taking on this whole project. Um, was that sort of the different structures of camps and how that affects a person's experience uh, on the playa, or you know? And so maybe you guys could just talk a little bit more about what that means because I'm sure a lot of people are like me who at one point didn't really understand that what these camps are. Yeah, um, I could spend an hour talking about my camp. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. And um, <laughs> camp typically it's the magic of editing. Did. Yeah, so Anthony, and, and, and I, uh, I told my camp, I'm not going to make this a scrambles podcast. Uh, so our camp, we camp on the nine o'clock side. Okay. And we are a explain what that means for okay, people. Okay, so Burning Man is like a clock. So it starts, I believe, at two o'clock and then ends at ten o'clock. So if anybody at any point says meet me somewhere. If you look at your hand like a clock, it starts at two, and then the roads are numbered A. I know they go as far as like H, maybe L or M as the city expands. Yeah. So if you said meet me at nine forty-five and H, you can look at your hand literally and say where's ninety nine forty-five on a clock, and then work your way back to the street where H is, and that's where our address, your physical address of your camp is. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, do well that? I, I think that, no, I think that's good. I'm just that's right. when you tell you're at someone at nine o'clock at age, it's like there's you know 80 camps in that general vicinity. Yeah. So, and then it's magical find how out. you actually find somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you yeah. do. Yeah, um, you do. And so, my camp I met at a regional burn, and and I always tell people that are looking for camps, just you will find the camp. I don't, I don't think you want to find the camp. I think your camp finds you. I think when you're just around and just naturally having conversations, you know, people go to regional burns and network. Don't go there to network, go there to self-express and have a burning experience. I think naturally you'll find your pack of people. Yeah. Uh, and my camp scrambles brought my wife and I, my wife and I burned together in, uh, we met them, we met them in 2015 and really started bonding with them in 2016. And we went to Burning Man with them in 2017 and with scrambles, um, we call ourselves the scram fam. Uh, we are a collective group of, uh, people located starting in Washington DC all the way out to, uh, San Francisco. They are the most smartest, brilliant, intelligent people I know. Um, they inspire me to be a better person. And most importantly, I think the loving connection that our 
camp leader, Sergeant Honeybear, uh, that they've created. Uh, Such authority. Yeah. Does, does everybody in your camp have last name part bear? <laughs> you know, I, bear. I am part of the bear tribe, and Honeybear did give me my name, actually, uh, right before <laughs> Burning Man. So, uh, and it's, you know, Sarge uh, is, is just being of energy and intelligence and just loving, but Sarge knows how to run a theme camp. And uh, the balance that her and Honeybear bring uh, to the camp and the, their structure and the community they've created. Um, once I spent my first burn with them, I'm like, this is my pack. And uh, I get to see them next weekend. So just talking about them, I'm really excited. We're doing a burn weekend next weekend to get ready for uh, Black Rock. Uh, our theme, War Lounge. You know, uh, Sarge, when she began to create uh, the camp, she's been going to the play, I think, 10 years. She really wanted a space to where she could relax and be with other like-minded people. And that's kind of where our camp evolved from. So. Okay. So it's just literally a place for people to go and relax is yeah. the main idea. Of, yeah. Of it. And, yeah. And then from there, all the uh, activities that we do kind of spawn organically. Uh, we have a we have a place to cuddle uh, if that's what you need in that space. We have a um, a pillow fight because uh, who doesn't want to let off a lot of steam? <laughs> um, I will say that Sarge does make the best Bloody Mary I've ever seen. So look <laughs> us up for uh, the 10 ingredient Bloody Mary bar that we'll uh, host. And, um, you know, it's really neat that this past year um, she had an experience where she wanted to scream. But living out in D.C., she's like, there's not a place to scream in D.C. She doesn't have a car. She can't scream in her apartment. So she tried an event at a regional burn called Transform. It's called Ritualistic Screaming. And it was just such an organic experience. And people screaming on a mountaintop. They were crying. So now we do ritualistic screaming just to have that outburst. So if you need to let out any energy, we started doing things like that. So Cool. So, Jeffrey, tell me how that sounds different than sort of the camp you're associated with or what you sort of started with, I guess. Well, categorically, I mean, camps, you know, there are a lot of people who will just go out and just camp and go out two people, a hundred people, and it may not be a theme camp right, per right, se. Right, right. Um, you know, camps can register and put themselves on the map as far as this is, you know, death to Barbie camp or spank me camp or library camp or the post office camp. Um, or, you know, which are, when you're along the Esplanade, which is the innermost ring, you know, those camps, all of that entertainment, those theme camps, those stages, those music venues, um, venues being a, a strong word, um, are made up of hundreds and hundreds of people who come together to run those particular experiences. Mm -hmm. And, but they're all camps. People are all camping in there. And that's just part of a larger Burning Man community or a Burning Man family, if you want to call it. So, and these are spaced out all throughout, all over, you know, Black Rock City, but the more nightlife oriented, the more active camps tend to be around the inner rings. Oh, okay. Um, my camp was 420 in the outer ring. We were always kind of kept pushing back to the outer ring. So the, the gentleman, Paul Mellian, who from Birch Circle, who ran, put together our camp, uh, had been doing this for probably when I had met him and already been doing trips out to the playa for probably 10, 12 years. Mm -hmm. So he was one of the early ventures out there. Um, Paul was an adventure travel coordinator. Um, uh, and he really wanted to create a camp. This was before the luxury camp idea was, you know, being battled and people surrounding a camp with buses and it was exclusivity. Paul actually built a camp around, uh, people who were coming in from out of state, 
um, to have a place there that didn't have to necessarily worry about gear and food and packing all that stuff because getting to Burning Man is not an easy thing. Yeah. I mean, you can buy a ticket, but you got to travel there. You got to bring all your gear, all your clothes, all your food, all your water, everything. And Paul really wanted to build an experience for people to come and just really get into the burn experience, operate as a community, um, act as a family, but not necessarily have to worry about where all your food was coming before you came out there. Mm-hmm. He would take care of all that. But everybody was active in the camp with as far as helping the cooks, helping clean, helping uh, community conversations, helping each other, being supportive. Um, so he really built that community. And a lot of coincidentally, I'd say about 50 percent of the people in in those camps, the years I continue to go back with Paul, half of them were from out of the, out of state or out of country, mm-hmm. you know, like different times of the year. So our camp would evolve, you know, from year from year, depending on where people were coming in from. We had people come from Israel. We had people from Italy. We had people from a lot of Canadians, a lot of people from Toronto, um, all over the place, as well as from the United States. Um, so from year to year, there was kind of this... Paul would grow this family of burners who, you know, maybe say from a group of maybe three or 400 people that he had over the years kind of built into this family, maybe, you know, anywhere from 50, you know, 40 to 80 would come at any particular year. So sometimes you'd see repeat people the next year. Other times you may not see them for two years. It just, it just yeah. kind of depends. And other people then would kind of split off and, okay. and start their own camps. I, I saw a lot of that going as well, but um, we didn't have a theme camp per se, it was just really a strong supportive family camp or not family camp because there's actually family camp there for people who want to go out with families and kids and want a slightly quieter area. Um, it was just a really strong, emotionally supportive community for people who wanted to just go out there and have that experience and know that if things started to unravel, you had kind of a support system mm-hmm. there and, and, and Paul built that environment around that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the reason I kind of wanted to ask so many questions about the camps and, and things is that I think a lot of people do have a trouble understanding like how, when you do ask people about what Burning Man is, there are so many different answers and, and, and it's sort of like, well, you really can have the experience I think you want to have is what it seems like from an outsider perspective of it's sort of like going to any city it really right like oh, you know if you ask somebody oh what's what's new york like and you talk to somebody who's like really into music you know they're going to give you an answer that's a little more focused on music if you ask somebody who's really into museums they're going to tell you about that if somebody who just wants well, to go to everything you, you yeah i always thought out Berman, if you you put that energy out there ask for what you want mm-hmm. um and you, chances are you're going to find it. Yeah. And I, and I mean, and I do mean anything. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, people ask me, because in quote unquote, the default world, default world is often term, use the term, uh, the world outside of Burning Man. Um, in default world, I pretty laid back. I lounge. I practice Brazilian jitsu, jujitsu, and I make crap beer up. Since the brew part, my that's why you're so, a brew bear. Brew bear, right? <laughs> <laughs> Try to be a big teddy bear. Um, but so what I do? So what I found myself doing at Burning Man, I found the jujitsu camp, and now I made amazing friends at the jujitsu camp, and I helped teach there. And I found uh, a group of home brewers um, that bring like 300 kegs. And so it's funny what I do in quote unquote default world. I naturally tended to do that out at Burning Man because it's a city of. 70,000 amazing people come together for, you know, a couple of weeks. So it's truly the experience that you want it to make. Uh, sometimes there are experiences you don't want, like being lost in a dust storm. 
<laughs> trying to problem solve there or get dehydrated or yeah i feel like uh if you don't cry at burning man at least once i feel like you didn't have a good experience <laughs> so I'm, i don't know what your thought process is you gotta cry at least once with a happier bad just once just, just once, once. Right? <laughs> so so that kind of is a good segue uh when we're talking you know one of the reasons we when when i asked you guys to come in here was to talk about sort of almost as a burning man survival guide and uh, so i kind of wanted to start with asking what are the the challenges that being at Burning Man presents to a visitor. Damn, God. Where do we start? Right. <laughs> I'll give you, how about, I'll give you my top three. Yeah, that's um, fine. Top three challenges. The elements in the desert are the elements of a desert. And that sounds <laughs> yeah. so like elementary, but I mean, it is hot. I mean, my first year on Playa, it averaged, I think, 117 degrees. And people say it's a it's a dry heat. Mm, no, yeah. 117 degrees is 117 yeah. degrees. Um, I feel like I prepared very well, uh, in in because I'm very big on the ten principles and being very uh, you know radical uh, self reliant. But it, just preparing the amount of water just to go from one side of the pod to the other. Um, and then lastly, just like some like the physical self care. I think self care out of burn is uh, very important to myself. Uh, whether it be taking care of your feet or getting enough sleep or knowing to remove yourself from certain stimulus. I think sometimes people often forget about personal self-care and they're just trying to enjoy every single moment of every hour. Like that's impossible. So learning how to care for yourself is once you kind of figured that out, I feel like the experience becomes a little bit easier. So FOMO is a challenge on the, on the oh, playa too. The city's alive 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I think he, I think he captured it pretty well mm-hmm. I, I, until you have the experience. I mean, if you look on the back of a Burning Man ticket, it says, you know, you enter at the risk of your own death. I mean, if I don't know what a festival that you go to in the planet that, that, that has a disclaimer on the back that, you know, you could die and it's your responsibility to make sure you don't. Um, I don't, I, I think it's hard. I, I've seen the physical elements out there, the heat, um, the, the dust, the playa dust, I've seen it just absolutely make people crazy. I mean, just absolutely snap, um, because you are constantly coated. I mean, the playa dust is getting kicked up from the wind. It's getting kicked up from art cars. It's getting kicked up from people walking around. I mean, if there's water trucks going around and you, you know, it's tamping down some of the water on the roads, but there's just, you, you can't. I mean, you come back from from Burning Man, and I and I, I still have playa dust in bags and in some clothes and things like that. So, like glitter and playa dust never go away. <laughs> and, 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 and in a society in which everything is very clean and sterile, um, it just makes people crazy. You can never always get it off your hands if you have contacts to put in. So you you have to instantly succumb to the fact that you are dirty. And, and that makes people, I'm telling you, it just makes a lot of people crazy. Um, and I said, well, I, in my camp, I saw a lot of people really just have, and, and some people have, have actually left my camp before the burn um, because they just, they couldn't put up with the dirt, that constant seepage of dirt. So um, just that constant set of that change of physical care of yourself, um, moisturizing your feet, making sure you're drinking a lot of water, not knowing how those elements, and especially I think what you said about the sensory experience, it, it, it gets to you. And I think my credit to my camp leader, to Paul, who always put us at the outer ring because he just wanted to be the point in which it was, wasn't so far that you couldn't get to things or find things, but he, he wanted to give people the chance to sleep. 
um, and just have some kind of disconnection. I mean, you can still hear the playa thumping in the background, but it was a lot different than going, you know, four, five, six rings in and it's just nonstop. But knowing where that sensory overload, because it it's, it's everywhere. I mean, the art cars, the neons, the clothing that people wear. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. How to explain. It's like living in it's, Willy it's, it's Wonka's weird. chocolate factory, like nonstop. <laughs> and, and if you're not, I mean, we're not used to that kind of experience. And, and it just, it, it can be finding ways to kind of separate your mind from that and, and breathe and relax and have some just quiet time as much as you can. It, it's key. It, it can really overwhelm you. So the combination of those elements is 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 pulverizing to your head, and you, and you got to be mindful of it, and you have to have people around you who can recognize those absolutely those things. So you both mentioned foot care. So I'm kind of curious Hand about care, what, foot care. Like, oh, what is, like what, what what does that entail? So we have, I'm very specific <laughs> about my foot care uh, because with the ply dust being so alkaline, it's going to crack your skin, um, and I. Uh, so I have, I found like, I went through a couple of pairs of boots, uh, cause you're on your feet the entire time, whether yeah. you're on a bike. Uh, I do walk, I do pick one night where I just walk around my block, my circle. I do, I like to walk, but you're, you're on your feet the entire time. So your feet are going to hurt and a dust will crack your feet. Uh, it's almost like chap lips. Um, so if you don't take care of your feet, it's going to chap your feet and then you can't move. Um, so the way to do it is you got to, there is a little bit of science, uh, vinegar or lemon juice. So at the end of every day, uh, a whole camp does it. It's just something we naturally do. We get behind the scenes and we take off all our socks, our boots, and we, um, we clean off our feet and then douse it with vinegar, clean them off. Now, me personally, this is, uh, where I wear a brand new pair of socks every single day. Yeah. Like once I started doing that, I did that last year. Uh, and it's like, Voila, like it's like the <laughs> angels are on your feet. Um, because without your feet you can't you can't move. Yeah. And then you can't have a good experience. Yeah. So Yeah, I I'd say in our camp, the experience was, I mean, there was, there was, there were days that, I mean, there, you had the ability just to wash your feet and then moisturize. I, I, I think just for me, I mean, comfortable shoes. Absolutely. I mean, I see a lot of people walking around the playa just barefoot and I was, I, I was always shocked by that. Um, and, and so oh, always having comfortable pairs of shoes to get around because I do like you, I do a lot of walking. I mean, bike riding is the same, but there, I've got a ritual with a friend of mine that will just get up on I, usually Friday, um, and just spend most of the day and just walk all the way out to the fence line. Yeah. Um, and then walk there, which is almost a five mile walk, um, from where we camp, yeah. you know, at least three miles all the way to the fence line of, and then back. And, and then you have to walk back <laughs> and then walk back. Um, <laughs> Just stopping at Artie's, but, but moist, I mean, definitely just keeping your feet from cracking your hands from cracking is, is really, is really key because yeah, you're right. I mean, I've seen some people with some really seriously splintered feet and then your feet are bleeding and it's never comfortable in what you're doing. And, and it just limits you to a certain degree. I mean, you have to be on a bike more and you don't get to walk as much, but. And then like leaving. You can't, I mean, right. I mean, and you got to help tear down your camp and yeah. you got to do the L and T, uh, which means leave no trace. Um, it means, so tear down is important. And part of being part of a theme camp is I think there's sweat equity in working really hard with your fellow camp members. And if you're unable to help tear down, you're not keeping your part of the camp, especially if you can't do L and T and do the things. Um, so that's also part of your responsibility to take care of your feet so you can help out your camp. So. Yeah. What, uh, tell me a little bit more about how you take 
like, how do you deal with the water situation? You know, like what's the practical, I mean, obviously as I was just trying to run this through my head, it's like, well, you obviously can't, if you're flying there, you can't take it all on a plane. So you have to get it somewhere more locally, I would assume. right? So I'll give you, uh, there's kind of two, like three different ways. So if you're not part of a theme camp, um, it, so part of getting into the Burning Man, you got to get your ticket. But how you once you get in Reno, how you get in there if you're not driving? So if you take the Burner Express, and the Burner Express is a way for you to actually bus in from. I think they have it in Reno and uh, San Francisco, I believe, right? Um, so the Burner Express, since you can't physically take in, you know, twenty gallons of water, right. uh, you can actually pre-purchase your water in advance. Uh, in five gallon increments. Um, if you fly into Reno or Sacramento, I prefer to fly into Sacramento. It's just a little less hectic. Uh, bring it in. Uh, and then lastly, a lot of camps, part of being a theme camp, they will help take care of the water situation. We do these like hundred gallon, like drums of water. Mm. So, yeah, because I was, you know, cause I had a camp leader. He took, Paul took care of, uh, and his team took care of the majority of that. And also and brought in big drums of water, um, I, I will tell you that, you know, if, you, if you've hit the Walmart in Reno before going out oh, to the playa, you know, for years, that was kind of our, we coming in from San Francisco because everybody, my camp, everybody would, the majority of us would meet in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, and then we'd come into the playa and, and, and vans and cars and however we're all getting in there. And Paul liked to bring everybody in to experience the trip together from San Francisco into, into Black Rock City. That was just part of the camp building and that kind of sense of building that Burning Man family before going in. But we always hit Reno, stopped at Reno for something to eat, and and then last-minute supplies. It was always the Walmart. And the last time I went, it was like Walmart was totally on board with, like, burner sales and burner supplies <laughs> and selling water and discounts and all kinds of costume stuff and all kinds of crap. So, you know, the, the, the commercial world, especially the Walmart world of Reno, Nevada, you know, got on the Burning Man bandwagon themselves. I'm sure they made a killing after because every year there was just more and more and more stuff tents chairs I, everything and it was yeah. all like burning man special and the parking lot was just like full of art cars it and, is, and burners yeah. it feels like a burn like, like if does. you're flying if you're flying if you're going to burning man you're flying in it starts from like i remember like i would fly from chicago so being in O'Hare Airport and getting on a plane, you know, there, there's like one or two or three people. You're like, oh, I, you know, I, th- I think they're burners. Yeah. Pretty sure they're burners. Um, and then you start talking to me and then you switch planes in, in, in Colorado and Denver. And then the plane's more full of burners. So the time you get into the San Francisco airport, it's just madness because <laughs> then you get more people in burner clothes and then it's all crazy. And then the more and more people. And so as you start kind of like building and getting closer and closer to Black Rock City, it just it, it, the zoo is just it just amassed so every car you see people are like stuff flying off you know on the cars and people spray you know color painted their cars or the outfits or stuff that people are wearing it just it's 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 crazy how that just builds as you get to black rock city absolutely yeah well i was hoping we could go uh, out to the galleries and look at some art if you guys are uh, game absolutely awesome sure. let's go So um, we are in gallery, we'll just call it 148 because it's technically 147 through 149, so we'll split the difference. We are looking at a piece called Shroom and Lumen um, by an artist collective group called Fold House. So I'm just kind of curious, what is your first impressions of this work when you see it? Or how do you feel it kind of relates to what you might see on the playa? 
I mean, this is playa art. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when I first came to the uh, to the exhibit on opening night. When, uh, this is like one of the first spaces I came here, and I'm like, my shoulders relaxed. I'm like, I'm at home. <laughs> I'm like, this is very playa art. Um, something like this, you, I think you'd find it what's called deep playa, and. So when you think of the playa, you have the space in front of the man, the space behind the man, and then you have the space like down by the uh, trash fence. And as you get back, the art kind of takes its own identity. And something like this reminded me of something that you would find in deep playa, um, just the colors and how it works with each other and, and works off each other. So when you say you relaxed, I'm curious, do you not normally probably relax when you come to a museum? <laughs> <laughs> you know, anytime I'm uh, around, it's fine, to, it's fine not to, I don't think, I think a lot of people don't Get feel relaxed in a museum. I, oh, I, feel, so I feel like some people yeah. do feel that way. So the it's, it's, it's fine. It's funny. Uh, so the, the term welcome home is something that they say when you enter a burn, because it's a very homey type of feeling. Mm. And um, so anytime I get my sense of home, my shoulders just drop a little bit like, ah, yeah. and this uh, experience reminded me of actually being on the playa when I first saw it. And I'm like, oh, I'm back on the playa just for five minutes or so. in you know, the middle of Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of the, you know, one of the things that, um, about the exhibition is like some of the works have never been on the playa. Like Sorry. some of the pieces were made, um, are made by artists and groups who make things for the playa, but they're sort of, um, commissioned works for the exhibition. Sorry. Um, and this is one I've definitely seen pictures of on the playa. Yeah. Um, I have seen this you know, I'm not sure if it was recreated in any way or, or if uh, it's the exact same pieces, but mm-hmm. I, I think in this exact same sort of incarnation was on the yeah. playa, as far as I know. I mean, one of the things I liked about it when I first saw it is just the way it uses this material mm-hmm. uh, in a really interesting way, which is kind of... Um, so I haven't, we've done a pretty bad job so far of describing what we're looking at. So <laughs> <laughs> we can we can probably... Maybe we should do that. So uh, Jeffrey, why don't you describe the, the, the sculptures we are standing among? Uh, you've got mushroom structures that look like they're corrugated plastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and the, and they're auto, there's some kind of automation in it, so they expand up and change colors, and they look like little mushroom clouds. Yeah, so there's there are three very big mushrooms. We should probably say. I mean, how the the tallest one here? What what would you say? That's probably ten feet or tall, twelve feet. Twelve to fifteen feet. Easily. Yeah, twelve. To, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm six little over six feet tall. Yeah, so, so probably two of you could would reach the easily. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, and um, at their base they have these sort of little panels that you can step on, which change their shape. So they sort of expand and contract, which is another thing you mentioned. They're made of this corrugated uh, plastic. It's it's it reminds me of I don't know if it's the exact same material, but it reminds me of the same stuff that you see in like political yard signs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like fluted. Yeah, fluted plastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's that same kind of material, um, and then it looks like it's just kind of scored and folded in different ways so that it creates these rounded shapes, but actually every side of it is completely... Playa dust. Yeah, you can tell. (laughs) Oh, you can see the playa dust in there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good evidence that these pieces were the same ones that were on the playa. I know we're right now in they just made a blog post from Conservation that they're doing some costume conservation, and they made a point of saying, like, 
Usually we get rid of dust, but in this instance, we are keeping the dust because it is an important part of this work and that it shows where it's been and, and that's the context of why it's here. So right. we are trying not to get rid of the dust on this piece. We want to make sure that the dust remains as best as we can. Whenever I see pictures of art on the playa, light is a really big part of mm -hmm. that. So maybe you guys could talk a little bit about kind of the sense of light that goes along with a lot of the sculptures. Well, I, I wonder if it's changed. I think we'll probably have two different perspectives because, I mean, I can imagine Burning Man before LED. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, I know Burning Man of, like, really bright, exuberant colors. Hmm. But what I like about even this piece and what you see a lot on the playa is art is meant to be interactive with, is meant to be touched. And I like how the light bounces off the textures here to where I think the you get both senses. You get the touch uh, aspect to it in the light. And that's a lot of the pieces out on Black Rock. Yeah. One of the most fascinating experiences of going out there is walking around your first night of walking out on the playa and just, I, I just never tire of like seeing, oh my God, the, the amount of stuff that's lit up and in the, in the electricity and the wiring. I mean, you don't see any of this, but it's just, everything is glowing. I mean, not only people who are walking around with like glow sticks and you want to keep yourself somewhat lit up so you, you know, avoid getting bumping into somebody or getting hit by an art car. Um, but people's bikes are all covered with stuff, you know, that has batteries and, and electric powered, but it, it, everything, I mean, where some, the, you know, a lot of stuff is, um, you know, charged during the day and it's, you know, it's using stuff, you know, that's, that's glowing at night. I, I, it's, it's hard to explain because you can kind of see this stuff. And then if you just imagine, a, a, you know, 500 other things like this that are glowing in a five mile radius around mm -hmm. you and you see things just so off in a distance that you think you know what it is. And then you just start riding your bike out to that. And it completely changes into something like, Oh my, you, you just like, how did you not see this? How did you not come across a structure that is so enormous? And, and the stuff they're building is amazing. Um, it's just, you know, every time I went out there, and I haven't been out there, like I said, since 2010, so what it must, what the concentration of art out there must be like, but it's just, it's, it's everywhere. It's just take this and just multiply it and just, it's constant. You're just surrounded by glowing things and lit up things and blinky things like nobody's business. The, the first time I saw it, um, in the experience of seeing the playa at night, it's it's breathtaking. It's almost like if you've ever been to Las Vegas and just seeing the lights for miles, like that's what the playa reminded me of. Because I mean, five miles in the desert, I mean, it's it goes on and on and on, and there's just lights forever. And and each art project and different inspiration that people bring, I mean, it is powerful to yeah. see it for the first time. I don't know if this is still out there. One of the, yeah. one of the strongest images of an art car. Or, or the visuals on the playa at night was there was a there was an art call called um, Buzzsaw, and I believe it was all LED off the side of what was a bus or some kind of structure, and it only, it was only a night. I think it was actually a moving sound stage, but what you saw off a distance, I mean, and you're talking about something that was probably 20, 25 feet high. Um, and equal the length of a of a bus or a truck, and it was it was a moving buzzsaw. Looked like it was cutting through the playa floor. So what you just oh, saw wow. was cool. was half of a, a of a <laughs> of a buzz blade of a buzzsaw blade just rotating at different speeds, um, and you just saw this thing off a distance just moving across the playa as, as an art car, and it was just 
it's like you know like simulating cutting into the ply floor and and, and that was I think that's one of the earlier experiences I had with seeing an, a, a big art car and just it just stuck in my head and, and and have never lost that but it was like it's it's fascinating and and people invest the money and build those things and and it's it's great just no purpose whatsoever other than wow that's amazing yep and it's fun to just like chase our cars. Like you can spend an entire night. It's like, ooh, that shiny thing. I want to bike for the, and follow this art car for three miles. Or oh, there's another one. Like that's just part of the fun is just chasing these shiny objects and finding the inspiration. And let's say you know it's three o'clock in the morning. You've been chasing shiny objects all night. <laughs> well, I, it's funny when you brought up Las Vegas because actually I was already thinking about Las Vegas and but kind of coming at it from a slightly different angle, which is maybe especially with this piece like the colors and the lights can come off as maybe a bit Las Vegas-y <laughs> and I'm saying that in a slightly derogatory way yeah, yeah. Um, but I think understood in the context yeah, it's, the lights it's different. serve a purpose oh, too absolutely. because oh, you, sure. you have no other light source basically things have to provide their own light or be lit like otherwise you're in the middle of a place with no lights like you, yeah. you can't see it without light well you have always markers if you're you're out in the deep playa you're looking at the esplanade not, and depending on where your camp is, you're like, okay, there's center camp, and you see that structure. And then to the left of that, there's, as you get closer, you're, you always just, your mind starts to build on, okay, well, I'm on 420, so I'm looking for this camp that has, you know, the dusty cowboy sign. Right. So the, the lights, you're right, the lights become markers of where, some, giving you some kind of spatial coordinates of where you're at, uh, other than the fact that they're just gorgeous to look at and like, Wow! Look at you know, and, and just kind of get mesmerized off of it. Well, I'm enjoying that or sound. Yeah, I'm en I'm enjoying looking at them right now even more than usual because you know one of the things like we still have some cases in this gallery because there's this, you know, that's the other thing about the show is, you know, you brought up like, oh, this art is meant to be touched and felt. And I'm like, oh, but not here. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's a real challenge. I mean, obviously this one you can interact with in, in certain ways, but um, we have this sort of push pull with that. We are still this museum where you're like, we don't want you to touch things. So it's like, <laughs> it's really hard challenge for us because, you know, Know, there's all this stuff that is meant to be experienced that way, and then we're kind of like, no, no, but don't. But oh, yeah, the you best know. ply art is stuff you can just crawl all over. Yeah, I mean, some of the structures out there, do you see people like jump all over and climb up into? And I mean, we have stuff like the the Capitol Theater piece, where it's like people are crawling all over it, it technically. Yeah. Well, well, on the back of the ticket, when people come in and say, "You enter this uh, exhibit at the risk of your own death." Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, then people fall off a piece of art or, or get killed by it, then you're, then you're totally exonerated. <laughs> One of the things I think it's also worth bringing up while talking about this piece that is a theme that runs through a lot of the other works is this idea of being made by a collective which feels very Burning Man to me as well. So you have this one, which is a collective, I think, and, and you know, the Five Ton Crane Capitol Theater piece, which is like a huge collective with so many people involved and, right. and everybody kind of like, so I don't know, that's just something you probably see a lot of, right? Yeah, I mean, collective, I mean, art being made as a collective isn't, isn't you know, isn't new. I mean, Andy Warhol certainly, and you know, in his past was was certainly known for doing art as a collective. Um, though obviously it was his stamp on his pieces. Uh, yeah, I would say that I, is the difference, I, I, right? I, I mean, I artists' think, workshops are not new, yeah. and that's that goes back to the Renaissance and on. But I mean, they still were. That was still. Oh well, this is a Botticelli because it came from his workshop, right? This is a Warhol because it came from the factory. It's it's one thing to call it 
a collective where there is no one name. Like that is a difference, I would say. Are these pieces, and and that would be, I guess, I would have a question. Are, are a lot of the pieces that are in this show, uh, you know, titled as a collect as a collective? So, several are, yeah, yeah. There's there's multiple ones that are not a person's proper name, but you know, right. like this would be one where it just says Fold House. Some of those collectives are just two people. In some instances, some of them are 50 people, you know, so they, they have different. And that they are, they are communal builds. Yeah. Yeah. Art pieces. Yeah. That's great. Which really builds on the principles of, you know, you know, communal effort. I can't imagine a piece like this one person doing, I mean, you said it, it's a communal effort just to, to build this stuff out there and get it out there and to have it survive out there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's something to think about is like the practicality of of exhibiting art in a really harsh environment and sort of mounting it and putting it up in the way that, you know, um, it does require a team to, to even just present a lot of this stuff, I'm sure. It's hard enough to build this here in a gallery, <laughs> you know, like something like the Five Ton Crane Capitol Theater piece was came in boxes and was put together in the gallery. You know, you can't, there's no door big enough to put it through otherwise. So, I mean, I can't imagine doing that in a, the harshness of, of the desert. So. Have, have you might been part of an installation crew? I don't, like how early no, when you go out to no, Black Rock City, not, what's uh, the earliest you've been you out know, there? I, I, uh, I'm part of uh, Gate Perimeter and Exus. My department is GP&E. So I'm a, I'm a lane right. I'm one of the people that you'll see uh, checking you in. Oh, okay. Um, I like doing the grimy jobs. Um, <laughs> I like being dusty. I like being out in the sun with my other uh, GP and ears. Um, my it's the joke in my campus. That's the guy that puts things up and sets them down. Like you know, I'm, the, <laughs> I, I'm just a straight laborer when I'm out there, and I just feel like that's a good way for me to to contribute to the city. Um, so no, I've never been part of a collective, but you may see me yelling at you in the lanes to get back in your car and <laughs> making sure that the uh, city of Black Rock City is safe. <laughs> so, so never, yeah, I've never worked on like an art. I, I've only, the earliest I've ever been in is like that Monday that the, that the burn. So I've never been part of a camp is like, Oh, you can go out a week or two in advance and help, you know, do installations or put up the fence. I I'm always thought that out. would be kind of I'm amazing. Usually, to be I think out I'm on plier for two weeks usually. I do is a lot it? of the early, uh, the early shifts for GP and E and then I help set up our camp. So oh, wow. that's great. Yeah. Two weeks out there has got to, I, I, I like people who are out there for longer periods of time for weeks afterwards, cleaning up. It's just gotta that. be a whole different experience. You know, seeing the city come together, um, it's it's beautiful that people like it's a man-made creation to create this beautiful city and then we tear it down it's it's insane to, to think of that concept and to think of that you're right there's people six weeks before i'm there and there's six weeks there's people there six weeks afterwards literally hand by hand picking up all the trash that we left behind so yeah that's a lot of stuff that people don't like you, you can read jack rabbit speaks which is the burning man newsletter yeah. and get a lot of great stories and I, but I, for the people who stay out there and just, you know, quadrant out the, the grid and just walk and walk and pick up moop is, I mean, just think about that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's such a commitment to, to what's going on out there and those principles of, of leave no trace. It's, 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 yeah. Just so we can have this event. Just to have the event. Just so we can have this event next year. I mean, it's <laughs> that there's people dedicated to 70,000 people to, to being able to come back. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. 
I hope it's an innate quality of the people who are going out there. Yeah. Um, I think some of the attraction of is not just go out there and learn that and then come back and bring that into the default world, yeah. but you're drawn to the principles you know, that Burning Man is, is founded on and that resonates with you. And so going out there, I mean, when I'm out on the playa, I'm, I pick up stuff. I mean, I have like carry a little trash bag with me or mm. I put stuff in my pocket. I'm always looking around and picking up stuff. I mean, even small little scraps of paper. One year, I, my first year I went out there I, because I wanted to take something out to the temple burn or the, the temple and give people like, because it's a very emotional destination. Absolutely. Um, and I want to give like people a piece of candy. Yeah. Like just go up to them afterwards or at a respectful moment and just give them something as a gift for their, you know, show appreciation of what they're doing there. And I, the first year I went out there, I, had, I think I took scotchies and I, I was like an idiot. I realized that they were, had came with paper. So every time I went up to someone, I would show them what I was giving them, give it to them, then take the wrapper off and then put it in a little, like a Band-Aid container and show them, you know, I'm going to throw this away. So the next time I came out there, I ended up just not doing a, a food item because I didn't want to take trash out there. But just if, if everybody carries that mindfulness out there, yeah. um, then you... But it's it, but it's amazing how easy stuff like you know someone's cigarette people smoking cigarettes a cigarette but winds up on the ground uh, because it does but but I'm I'm amazed at, at how much does get picked up I'm sure there's a lot that's still left um, unfortunate but thankfully that there's crews that go and pick that stuff up but I, you you do care I think some people carry that sense of like mindfulness out with them because that's what attracts them to Burning Man yeah. and then they it's amplified when they get back. And it's funny, like, when you, when you when you start to meet people who identify as a burner, like, in the default world, yeah. you know, I think a lot of us that are really passionate about the communities, we embrace the 10 principles outside of the burn. And the 10 principles, um, they're not a bad way to live. You know, civic responsibility, gifting, and a gift could be a, a conversation or picking up trash or just being nice to people or the 11th principle consent, you know, asking before you do anything like mm -hmm. these principles that govern our city. Um, they're not a bad way to live. No. And I typically, I tend to gravitate towards people who live the 10 principles. That's why I like to be around other burners. Cause we share that similar expectation on how we treat people and how we kind of go around our life. So, well, thank you guys for being my guest today. Thanks oh, for having thank us. Thank you for yeah, having us. Sure. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have your own conversations about the art. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. The special exhibition on view right now is No Spectators, The Art of Burning Man. Join us for a free gallery experience on Sunday, May 26 at 3 p.m. that will feature stories from the playa led by local burners, including Jeffrey Miller from today's episode. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Ofran Musical by Bacalao. And as always, if you enjoy our show, why not leave us a nice review or rating? Or you can also take the survey, which helps us learn more about our listeners, at cincinnatiartmuseum.org slash podcast. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. 